podcast. <laughs> Testing, one, two. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? What happened? Oh, my God. This, I got it. I, I, I know. Testing. One, two, three, four. Okay, let's try that one more time. I have no idea where that microphone went. It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! This week's starring special guest star, Mr. Rob Shirelli. Man, the things that I do. Anyway, good to see you back, Rob. As we were just good saying uh, before the microphone crapped out, and while. Oh, look, we're not in sync either. Oh, well, can't fix that on the fly. Um, it's been three years since Rob has been on Taxi TV, and uh, he did a sequel with us a couple of years ago. But three years. Um... <laughs> Rob's tapping away three inches from the mic. You'd think the guy would never seen a microphone before. <laughs> anyway... Um... Good to have you back. Good he's to be back. So, he's so busy. Uh, literally, we see each other. We live four houses from each other, and we see each other like twice a year. So good to I have you I see that plane flying overhead that you use. Is that uh, no, spying uh, on me? No. That's not you? You mean the, an airplane or a, a drone? A drone. Uh, Is that your drone? I, I have a drone. I haven't flown it in about four months. Yeah, about four months is when I saw it. Yeah? Spying on me. <laughs> Looking in the bedroom window. No, no, no. I fly it at like... 350 feet you can't even hear it or see it up there but anyway okay. uh, but thanks for the show good <laughs> to be here yeah you changing into your uh, clothes in the morning is the last thing I want to say <laughs> <laughs> now anyway um, they they literally live four houses from us um, he called me during the fire the Woolsey fire years ago Deb and I had uh, decamped as they say to back to the west in like four days after the rally because the fire's raging Rob calls me standing on his driveway and he very seriously which all the reason in the world to be serious goes Lasco it's Rob there's fire in front of your house in one mountain range, fire behind your house in the other mountain range. I just want to let you know so you don't like, expect to come home to a house tomorrow. Now, that was pretty scary. It, yeah. In fact, I was one of those idiots that stayed at the house, you know. Yeah. And then I saw the, the flames coming over the, that hill behind you there. I yeah. Mean, it's tough to tell the distance, but I got very concerned at that point. Luckily, it, it, it the wind changed and so forth. But it Boy, was, it did it change. Crazy. Like last minute and literally saved our neighborhood sadly some houses like a quarter of a mile away uh, yeah. got burnt and obviously our hearts got to the people in Maui considering we've had a very close call and we understand uh, but man yeah it's been it was a weird day, a couple of days yesterday too and Saturday with the oh yeah uh, yeah we had a hurricane well <laughs> it turned out I kept texting Rob going where's the wind <laughs> it, it was a non-hurricane if ever there was one anyway um well, good to have you back, and uh, I want to talk, you and I were in the car going to see the Fab Four, and we were talking about That's right. what makes some people successful and what others don't do that would make them successful, but for some reason they don't. Um, can I boost Rob's mic a tad? Uh-huh. Okay. There. there you go. That's that's called that's, move the mic. Right. Audio 101. Just get the microphone closer. How's that? 
anyway, lovely. Uh, hey, so yeah, let, let's talk about uh, you and I have both been in the industry for more years than we'd like to count, and mm -hmm. uh, we've seen a lot of people become successful, and we've seen a lot of people that didn't. In your estimate, can you make a bullet point list of like here's three or four things that I've noticed successful people have in common? Sure. Um, first thing that comes to mind is um, I would say, um, well, let's let's see. There's so many. A dedication to excellence and their craft. That's important. They also have to have drive, determination, um, ambition. Uh, generally speaking, you know, the nicer folks tend to go much, and I, you know, this is, this is, this is very, very true. The folks that have got the, um, you know, if they, that only gets you so far. You do have to have talent. You have to have, you have to be good to people. Um, what am I missing here? You have to work your ass off. You can't quit until it's a hit. Right. I say that all the time. <laughs> um, and sometimes, you know, it's demanding, and you have to be able to, in this business, um, roll with the punches. And um, and that can be tough. It can be tough. The long hours and that stuff, uh, you have to be willing to do all of that. So, I think a lot of people think they are many of those things yeah and they're missing one key component which is looking in the mirror and being honest with themselves and going am I really working that hard uh, they have the ambition but maybe not the work ethic to go the work it. ethic is a big one yeah and I think that that's you know I hate to mention uh, I won't mention anyone I was gonna oh come on let's trash some people um, oh, no, <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, my kids, okay? So, yeah. I, I, you know, my kids have um, are at age 23 and 26 now. And they grow up in a different world than we did, yeah. you know? So it, it's it's Internet, it's social media, it's um, Spotify and, and stuff like that. It's all, you know, it's an important part of modern life. But, um, you know, you can't do everything from behind a computer. I mean, at some point, you have to get out and do it. You have to roll up your sleeves. You have to get the um, experience. And you have to find somebody who can, like you were one of my mentors early on. You have to find someone who can guide you along and keep you away from the holes and the potholes and, the, right. and away from things that are going to, you know, take you off course. And many times, um, you know, I've said that if you're setting sail from New York and you want to get to London, you know, you you know what your destination is. You you have to navigate there, and you get off course, and you adjust adjust as it goes. But but you must know what your destination is. You have to have a you know an idea of what you want to accomplish. And uh, one of my good friends and another mentor, Reggie Calloway, said, um, you know, early in 1989 when I first met him, I said, uh, do you have any advice for me? You know, and I'm always asking people for advice and wisdom. And he said, you know, Rob. You need to know three things. The first thing you need to know. Do you remember this? <laughs> I we talked about it. Yeah. So the first thing you know, you have to need. You need to know is um, you have to you have to know what you want, and and uh, most people fail right there. And I said, oh, I don't know. I think I know what I want. You know. Next is you have to determine whether or not it's attainable. And I said, ah, I think if it's been done before, then you got to believe it's attainable. Mm -hmm. 
And then three, you have to be willing to pay the price. And the price is not just paid by you, it's by your support team, people around you, people that sacrifice and help you get through this journey, life. And those are difficult things to me. I think it's difficult for anybody. Maybe you'll know what you want, but are you willing to pay the price? Right. And do you want something that's attainable? Like, I want to be Paul McCartney. It's not attainable, okay? So it took me a minute to figure that one out, but you know, the reality is, is no, I didn't write The Long and Winding Road. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, I had, you know, perspective comes, I think, in time with each person, and it did for me. And then um, being, I've always been the guy that's willing to pay the price. I'll stay the extra hour. I'll, I'll work a song until I feel like it, it, we've done it our very best on it. And, um, and that's hard. I think a lot of people are looking for something they think it's easy. And I think you're right about that. Um, and a buddy of mine, um, his name's Manny, he's very su successful mix engineer said uh, I saw a seminar of his and he said something like you know people don't they see what's on TV and they see the glamour of it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know but we've been behind the the console with the grind of it there is this grind that we go through and um, and a couple of years ago we were at the Grammys and um, we meaning me and my wife and, and friends we were there and and someone, when they won, they accepted and they said, this is for everybody who has been grinding it out for so long. And I thought, oh, my God, did you just, you know, yeah. strike a chord with me? Because, you know, we do grind it out and you have to have a passion for it, you know, so. Um, well, speaking of Grammys, just so you know, Rob's got five of them now. And uh, he's always been, I've known Rob literally since, I, I don't know, he was young maybe 21 21 wow and so that would be 14 years now yeah good uh, you see why you weren't a college professor <laughs> certainly not math but uh rob is a humble guy he, he just does his work he's proud of what he does he, he he's earned every penny he's ever made every accolade he's ever enjoyed praise the lord um I mean, he's going to say that, but, you know, he's got like 100 gold and platinum records. They're not hanging up all over his house. Uh, the Grammys sit kind of quietly. Uh, Enough about it already. No, no, sakes. no. I, I want people <laughs> Make it to, seem like, you know, come on. Well, no, I want people to know who've never seen you on the show before that you're all about the craft and the work and the dedication to the craft and the work yeah, more true. than you are about taking a bow for the accolades. I know how much that first Grammy meant to you. It did. Meant and, a lot. Yeah. And I know that every time you get another one, you're proud of it, but you don't even bother like to call me and go, hey, I got another Grammy. That's <laughs> yeah. just not the way that's you're just, wired. That's just weird. I know. <laughs> that, that's Most people would. <laughs> you know. Okay, go on. Go on. Like a bit more. A bit more. Come on. <laughs> what it tells me is how uh, much the, the craft means to you and that you're proud of having worked that hard to get good enough at your craft that somebody recognizes it and that's about as far as it goes it's not hey look at me it's like wow somebody out there recognize it yay and, and i've watched you um instill this in your in your kids for as long as they've been alive frankly i've known both of rob's kids since birth and yeah, yeah. and there's nothing more important to you than passing those qualities on to your children and hoping that they absorb some of it or all of it um 
-hmm. He's got two great kids. Um, and uh, if I were going back to making records again, I, I would absolutely uh, call Robert his son and have him play drums. I think he's, I want to call him a kid because I still think of him as being like 10, but he's not. Um, but he, he's just rock solid, you know? I mean, he, he, he learned to play to a metronome and it worked, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, made him do that from the start. I know, but it paid yeah, off. Yeah. Um, and his daughter, Angela, um, has followed her own path as an artist. Uh, you guys should Google this later. Um, if you want to get a great insight into music for advertising, uh, when you see a taxi listing that asks for music for advertising, um, more often than not, um, you will hear a genre. It's an indie pop rock genre. Sometimes it's got some hip hop flavor to it. Anyway, Google Lena Dove, L-E-N-A Dove, D-O-V, not D-O-V-E, D-O-V. Um, Lena Dove and check out her music. Um, this young lady has scored some big TV commercials, like major national campaigns. And to the best of my knowledge, she does most of this herself. Um, it's not like Rob is sitting there coaching her along every step of the way. She's certainly been exposed uh, through Nate and Kaylee, the Highfields. Oh, yeah. And Rob, you know, been exposed to what great music for advertising is. But am I correct in saying she primarily makes this stuff on her own? May come to you and say, Dad, is the vocal loud enough? that kind of stuff or? I still mix it and Nate okay. and Kaylee still produce it and collaborate and write and everything but that yeah. nothing nobody does any of this stuff on their own I mean the reality is is that um, you know as I listen to you you know talk about various things and you know this the points are great and, but I think it's imp it's important to add that you know I am one piece in the puzzle and maybe not even very high on the ladder, uh, you know. So in the context of things, nobody is doing it on their own. So I wouldn't have had the success, whatever I've had as success, without turning to you in times when I needed to do something, or Craig Burbage, who, God love him, passed away recently, my you great really? mentor. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a heartbreaker. And, That's so um, sad. And wow. many, many others who who have, you know, guided me along. And so whether it's a song or a production, you know, nobody's doing, you know, Prince did it, I guess. He did a great deal of it on his own. And I think some people do have that type of talent, but that's... One in a hundred thousand, one in a million. It's tough. I haven't seen it in my life. I'll say that. I find that the best records are done. And the people that I work with mostly nowadays really do rely on the, their team. Mm-hmm. You know, not, they make, you know, let's say it's a, a major artist is going to make the major decisions. It's their record, but they tend to rely on the, the their team. It's a big deal. You know, great Sinatra knew, got to have great songwriters. You know, everybody throughout history knows that it's it begins with the song, it ends with the song. A lot of people in between, got to have promotion. You know, you got to have marketing. You have to have a great artist, great production. Well, <laughs> There's a lot to it. This brings me to a point, which is so many of the musicians that I've met through my nearly, believe it or not, 50-year career. Oof. Coming up on 50 years in this industry, I started when I was four. Um, they think that <laughs> it's 
just write a great song and somebody's going to recognize your genius they're going to drop from out of the sky they're going to cradle you in their hands and whisk you away and make everything happen for you i wish it were that easy right and that is the exact opposite of what really happens your point about needing a, a team and it's not even necessarily um a team that's etched in stone or fixed it can morph and depending on what sure. you're doing yeah people come in it and grows out. Yeah. yeah and maybe they go off to the to your team members go off and do something creatively that is more like them less like this entity yeah um and then they come back when needed so all this stuff but all that's this, an important piece they come back yeah. the relationship you keep those relationships good and you help others along along the way yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and the reason I bring this up is the road rally's coming up in a couple of months, mm-hmm. and woo! <laughs> hit that hit that applause button over there. Okay. There we go. Um, anyway, it's what happens at the road rally is magical, and people don't believe it until they see it. They think it's all hype for me, but remember, I'm not selling tickets. I'm not making a profit. But the one thing people say to me is the network of people that I've made at the road rally, the collaborators that I've met at the road yes. rally, yeah. that that has been the payoff for them. And coincidentally, a lot of them get deals because of the road rally because somebody who's newer to the scene meets somebody standing in the registration line on Thursday night. They've been around the block. They know the drill. They've got deals with five production music libraries already. But the newer person brings something to the party that the more experienced one doesn't have yet. Fresh ideas. Yeah. There you go. They become a a team of their own. Mm -hmm. And now that newer person, rather than pitching to taxi listings for the next five years with some degree of success Mm -hmm. um, or not, uh, now can ride legitimately ride somebody's coattails in because they're bringing something to the party. Don't think that you should go to the rally and just go meet people so you can ride their coattails. You've got to contribute, but that collaboration mm-hmm. ain't going to happen while you're sitting in your basement mm-hmm. all by your lonesome staring at your computer screen. Yeah, as easy as it is to sit around and play you know, music for mom and dad, they're going to tell you you're beautiful and you sound great. Now, my mother didn't do that. She would yell down the basement, sweetie, I don't think you're a singer. <laughs> 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 really? <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, I'm like, but mom, I'm trying to, I'm trying to work it out. I'm trying to understand, you know, <laughs> sweetie. <laughs> well, you keep at it. Okay. There's a, lot, there's a lot of story to that. <laughs> but, you know, it sounds funny, but I wanted to understand what was involved so I could communicate, right? Yeah. And I was never a singer. I was still not a singer, but I could communicate, you know, with, with artists and stuff. And that's an important part. But anyway, coming back to that, yes, I, I think that that's, that's great. Young people have fresh ideas and I think that's that's the you know the engine of the business okay and I think that um you know I will say that you know Nate and Kaylee my partners they came to the rally since I don't know it's got to be coming up to 15 years or so maybe maybe much longer I, I can't remember but at least 15 and they used to go to all of the same they used to listen to everybody you know yeah. and they would they would ask questions and they'd learn and they'd learn and they'd learn and they've got to be one of the best writers that I've ever met. And they're, they're a shining example you know, of everything that's good and right. It, it, not just as people, but as writers and musicians. Right, right. And that's what I mean, the whole package. Right, yeah. exactly. And that's really hard to find. I've been really blessed. 
you know, I, I'll tell you a funny thing, you know, uh, <laughs> the first, so, so I had them as my guest after they had some really successful placements, you know, and, um, and then somebody said, well, you know, they uh, had your guest you, at the rally at the rally. Okay. Yes. At this, at one of our seminars, Ron Harris and I will be back this year. We have some really good stuff up coming up for these. So someone said, well, yeah, of course, you know, you brought them under your wing and, and of course they're going to be successful. Right. So then two years later, I had them back again, and they're like, well, <laughs> they're asking them all the questions. Right. And someone raised their hand and said, well, what do they need you for? <laughs> and, <right? So> <laughs> and of course, in two years, it's like, well, of course, you helped them. Well, what the hell do they need you for now, Rob? You know? And it's pretty funny, you know. But Things... it's that constant interaction amongst you that <laughs> you works. Know, it is. It, it, it's funny, you know. Truth is, they don't need me anymore, you know. But we, we work together great, and we'll, we, you know, there's so they, much more to it, you know. Right. They might be this successful without you and that successful with you because the more, the more brains, the more brain power. Yeah, and plus it's fun, you know. <laughs> I just, we just... Yeah, it's it's fun. A part of the business that I think people forget is it still has to be fun. You have to be around good people. And, uh, and Bill Garside told me that years ago, and I was first coming out to L.A. in 1989. And I, everyone told me I'd fail. Everybody said you're going to fail except for Bill. And and uh, and Bill said if you meet good people, you'll be fine. How is Bill? Great. Still yeah. good. Send my best. Uh, I was I thinking will. about him as I was putting out the, the newsletter promoting today's show. I said something to the effect of Rob started out playing in wedding bands. That That's true, right? You and Garside were in a wedding band together? That was after, yeah, college. But yeah, Bill, and he, they have, they have, <laughs> Bill has the most tremendous, you know, uh, agency of, and groups that he has assembled and, and manages that's called Night Shift Entertainment. Nightshift-ent.com. And the bands he has are incredible. They are so great. <laughs> it's it's funny because the talent that's out there now and his ability as a leader and a band leader and and uh, and a manager and so forth is just I mean I learned a lot from him, let's put it that way. And I say this because I'm that guy that's been really lucky. So I had you, I had Bill, I had Craig Burbage, and, and many others, the Calloways and Jay King, on and on and on and on and on, where I can learn from them. And I've learned so much. So that's so, so it sounds like, you know, you do it on your own. Right. And people think it's overnight success. Well, I mean, shit. It's not true. It's not true. It's a lot of, a lot of people who, who help you along the way. I remember you called me when Nate and Kaylee, the, the Highfields, are very, very successful with Rob, um, but they're known as the Highfields, and a lot of advertising music, um, a lot of film and TV placements, but <clears throat> advertising seems to be the thing that's taken off the most. Rob calls me up. I gave them a free taxi membership at some point, and Rob calls me up and says, Lasco. They're not getting forwarded. What's up? Can, can we go to lunch? And we went to lunch. And I can't remember if it was you or Nate said, well, what's the secret to the whole thing? And that lunch was kind of pivotal. I remember seeing the lights go on for all three of you at that point. The, mm -hmm. And the chasm that was crossed was it's not the same as making records. It's not the same. It's not at all. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'll tell you a few things because that is so important. So, 
One of the things that um, I'd like to say is that with Nate and Kaylee and I, well, first of all, we were getting things rejected, and then I got pissed off at one of them because <laughs> one of them got rejected because it wasn't up to um, master quality or something. And I'm like, what are you <laughs> The mix was bad. <laughs> yeah, they didn't like the mix or wow. something. Was like, oh, my God. Like, but, you know, the thing is, is it's like, so we're sitting – I still remember the first time we t- were sitting around the table at Islands, okay? Yeah. And and we're frustrated. We're all trying to figure it out, right? We're all trying to learn what's the missing link. You know, how do we crack this code? How, what is it that we're doing or not doing? And I, I don't remember who said what, but um, we came to this conclusion that, well, people want the music. It's not as though people don't want this music. They need it. So they're not, you're not rejecting it because you don't like us or whoever the screener is. It's yeah, not a personal they, thing. They don't know you. Right. So it's not that. Well, how do, what is it? Well, you know, the, the, it's hard to say this. But we can't, you can't sit back and say, well, I gave them exactly what the brief said. Mm-hmm. Right? And I still hear this from other people. I say, okay, you don't get it yet. And I understand that. And I can't force this on you. I can't force the knowledge on you. You have to actually be ready to receive the idea that you have to work harder. You just do. You have to get better. You can't blame anybody. And that's what we decided. It's not them. It's us. We need to work harder at it. If we want to be successful at it, we can't be playing the blame game and putting the blame over this person or that person. If my mix gets rejected, it's because I didn't deliver the right quality or the right level of mix. If it's a production that gets rejected or a song that gets rejected, it means we need to work at it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And, the more, and once we get a placement, well, what did we learn from that? Along the way, you pick up a lot of knowledge, and you learn, and you take that forward. So things become a little bit easier along the way because you, you notice patterns, and you have instincts. And this all comes into play, right? It's like playing a musical instrument. At the beginning, you're just trying to figure out how, where to put your fingers. Right. There's nothing musical about it. You're just trying to, you know, get a D chord or a C chord <laughs> down, and sometimes not so swiftly. Right. It doesn't yeah. sound so great, but in time, you keep practicing, and then all of a sudden, there's a there's a thing that starts to feel natural with you, right? And you be able to navigate the neck, and then you're not really thinking about things that you did on day one because you've improved, and you've worked at it. It's the same with writing or production or mixing. It's a craft. And it's a life's journey. You don't just, you just don't, you don't arrive after, just because you bought a guitar doesn't make you a guitar player. Just because you wrote a song doesn't make you necessarily a songwriter. Maybe it does, but it doesn't make you a professional songwriter. Right. A professional songwriter is not the same as an artist. Right? Yeah. So being a professional songwriter, they're crafting songs for artists or for ads or for movie scores or trailers or motion pictures, right? And they're doing it with an intent. And every day, they're working at their craft. A lot of people aren't willing to do that. And I love it. I get up every day wanting to do it. I just get excited about it. Yeah, it goes back to that thing because, you know what? We were all fed this paradigm by the older music industry, the record industry, that all it takes is three great songs one hit and two other super strong ones and a label will sign you and everybody had this misconception 
that mm -hmm. the label would just take care of everything. That basically they just tell you, show up here, do this, do that. We've got everything covered. We're going to book the tour. We're going to find you great people to play on the record. We're going to connect you with the right producer. <laughs> and right, it'll There's all some, just, some truth to that. But but yeah, that for um, there was a movie once called The Idol Maker or The Star Maker or something yeah. like that. That that was mm -hmm. like that, and it was ostensibly based like on Frankie Valli's life, I think. Um, it, pr it probably has happened, but more often than not, and I think that... A lot of people think I sing like Frankie Valli. No. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> Especially your mom. May she rest in peace, your mother was right. Anyway, um, it, because there have been some... Is that you? Um, some instances where that has happened, people believe that it can happen to them. It can, but it's sure. a one in a million. So how did the other people who were successful succeed by doing all that stuff you mentioned? Yeah. Building a team, collaborating, working at it every day, being honest with yourself about how hard you're working. Uh, Gotta have a little luck. Yeah, but you, you know, bring your own luck. You make your own luck. To an extent, yeah. but you know, I call it, uh, you know, you, you have to have some blessing, you have to have some divine intervention. To me, I, I feel like that's an important piece of it. I believe in that. But, um, you know, the Beatles played at the Canyon Club and, and in Germany for countless hours, right. year after year, or whatever the time, a couple of years of doing that, and, and just got great. They yeah. got good. Um, they didn't sit in on their computers. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not. You know, and drag in Fruity Loops or uh, Splice <laughs> Loops, and all of a sudden tell the world here we are you know it took a little bit more work than that now it's not 1962 i understand that but um i guess uh you know these days i think that kids are conditioned to believe that because one or two people out there made it through social media and, and that kind of deal that that's that's possible for them you and i were talking about this in the car and we were really struggling to come up with the names of people who have been successful solely because solely. Of mm -hmm. um, so, can you guys in the chat room list off some artists for us that have completely made it with just the internet? There Don't say be... Justin Bieber. So stop right there. Anyone who says oh, Justin, tell Bieber. them why. <laughs> there's more to it. Yeah, you know, there's a lot more. But it's po it's possible. But we've been conditioned to think that if you get these Spotify playlists and you get yeah. all of these, right? So then people go pay for these Spotify playlists and they create this false sense of success. Mm -hmm. But really, when you look underneath it, no, it's there's not a lot of genuine, I mean... Okay, Magnolia Park. Okay. Well, we'll have to look up some of these probably, but at the end of the day... Yeah, we're old. We don't know. I, bet, this, I bet the list is short. So of the, of the 20,000 songs that get released well, every Kay, day... We're talking music artists. Casey Neistat is great, but he doesn't count for this. <laughs> Sorry. So Jacob Collier, I don't think so. I think he gave his tapes to Quincy Jones, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's a multiple Grammy winner, and uh, I believe he had an 8-track recording, which was amazing. Sent it to Quincy. He loved it. And that was that. Oliver Anthony. i got to give Super Blonde that one. That, I think, has blown up on his own. Mm -hmm. um, but it's because of that song. Can he sustain it as a career? 
Um, so I'll throw that caveat out there, having, you know, one hit. So Lil Nas, they got, so some things I don't agree with here, and someone's probably going to mention uh, you know, Chance the Rapper. Right. So, okay, but the list, you can write that down, but it's going to fit on that piece of paper. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the, the idea is that I think it's a false, um, I think it's, it's, I think it's deceiving to think that you can do it strict, that it's, that it's, that it's likely to happen on your own. There still needs to be promotion, there still needs to be marketing, the songs have to be solid, etc., etc. There's a lot to it. And, um, and it always, there always, it always has been that way. A, an artist had to write great material, we always know that, it still has to be the same today, still is the same. And then you have to have a marketing and promotion team to reach critical mass, right? I don't mean just for my, you know, for my brother and you or yeah. someone to download. We were, so years ago, maybe six or seven years ago at the road rally, I asked people to raise their hand. How many of you have sold over 100 records? You know, because when you think about it, who's going to buy them? Well, okay, your mother, your relatives, well, let's say that's eight or ten. Your friends. Maybe there's another 10 there that'll actually pay for it. There's 20. Man. But getting another 80 unknown people to start buying your product that you've never met before, they're spending their money on your record instead of buying a Starbucks, it better be good, right? Yeah. It's very hard. So then somebody raised their hand and said, how many of you sold? And one person raised their hand in a packed room with 200 in the theater. And she was... um you know, some superstar that has a talk show in China. I'm like, okay, well, oh. well fantastic. I mean, God, God bless you. Well, right. that, fantastic. But I for the rest her. of us, you know, it's like that's really hard. It's hard to sell records to people who don't know you. Yeah. Really hard. Well, you know, it all goes back to the formula that major labels uh, used for many, many years, or artists who got signed to major labels, and there's an analogy today. Olivia okay. Rodrigo, Lord. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> um, Kurt Cobain, I love it. This is, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> wow. A anyway... Um, Back in the day. When did Nirvana break? 1991? It's like pre-internet or something, right? Yeah, it was around 92. Right around the time I started Taxi was when they started skyrocketing. Um, anyway, there was a paradigm in the past where major labels would be interested in you if you had built a following and people go, well, yes. I've got a following. You know, Back then, the internet yeah. didn't exist or was certainly in its infancy. Putting and the up way, posters on all of the telephone poles yeah. and come see us at the rat or absolutely the, yeah. you you would do what I called concentric circles. You take you know downtown Boston, mm -hmm. and you get every club there that will let you play. You pester the crap out of them until they say yes, mm -hmm. and when it gets to the point that you've got the two or three most important clubs in the heart of Boston, mm -hmm. having you come back once every month maybe, and you get two, three hundred people in the club, or they're spilling out the door, then you expand your circle to a 25-mile radius outside of Boston, then a 50, and then a hundred, and do that until a major label notices. Yeah, they will notice. Like Van Halen's is a great, yeah. you know, their story, yeah. right? So, I mean, they just great kicked example. ass. I mean, they worked their butts off until... You know, they reached the point where they couldn't be denied. 
Same thing is true now. That's the analogy mm -hmm. for today. And that was 1% of the people that wanted a record deal got it because they were willing to work that hard. Six people in a van smelling stinky feet and farts all the way to the next town. Um, <laughs> going there, you know, finishing your gig at midnight and driving till three in the morning and going all over the town you're going to and putting posters up on telephone poles at three in the work. morning. Yep. Right. Um, calling radio stations the next day. Can we come over and do a live interview? Will you come to our show tonight? All those little things added up to building a following. Well, today, it's the, the tools are more plentiful than they were back then in the form of the internet. But people are of the belief that magic will happen for them by simply um, putting up a website, having social media, you know, three or four types of social media, and that it all goes back to somebody's gonna hear it love it and the magic will start to happen well that's happened in a couple of cases you a know couple. there's been a few they've they've hit a few here it's right. fine you know that's a couple and there are a few that i've found of course for forwards from taxi and there's some great writers and friends that i've i've met along the way that happened just in that way you know just in that way but it's but in the scope of the sea of music and musicians and twenty thousand or so songs are released every day you know, it takes a little bit more. I think it, yeah. I think the only point is that you're going to have to do a little bit more than just release it onto and gore. Oh, absolutely. That's my point, is mm -hmm. that you've got to ride, uh, and, and I'm saying this figuratively because some of it may not translate to today, but you've got to put six people with stinky feet in the van, and you've got to tack up those posters at three in the morning. It's not as simple as, you know, starting an Instagram page and posting a couple times a day. You have to have a schedule. You have to think about the content you're putting up there. You have to think like a marketer. You have to learn how to write great subject lines. Mm -hmm. You have to test what kind of photographs draw more likes than other types of photographs. You have to think about how to involve your fan base. That's what it comes down to. And, and you've got to build that grind. Wall. It's the grind. And you've got to build it brick <laughs> it by brick. Right. You can't just throw one brick out the window and the castle magically appears. That's so, right. That's yeah, right. You and I see very much eye to eye in this, but that's only because we've been around it so long. We, we've seen it, but Nate and Kaylee, the Highfields, are a great example. Their attitude since the day they met you and has remained the same, even though they're very, very successful, is we don't know at all. What more do we have to learn? How can we be better at what we do? That's right. Every day I get up and I just want to improve by 1%. Yeah. And if I can, that's I'll be three, four times better at the end of the year. Yeah. And that's pretty good progress. That is. And um, it's, not, it's not a difficult concept to just try to get up and learn one thing or try to get a little bit better. I mean, it's a simple idea. It is, um, it, but it won't be just that one. It's got to be, like you said, one. it's incremental. Oh, yeah, it's like compound interest. Yeah. The more, and then things start to take shape. You know, cat, jump and the net will appear. You know, we've heard that. And there's another, there's a great uh, quote by, a, I think it's a German uh, philosopher, Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E. You know, if you begin a thing... Um, begin it now and all sorts of things will take place and take shape around you 
that you could never imagine would happen. It's words to that effect. Yeah. Someone's going to know the quote. Guta, there it is. Marion. Marion Lear. She knows all. Marion's a smart lady. <laughs> okay, so there you go. So that's a, that's a good one, and and that that that's been, um, you know, when in doubt, right? You know, I've turned to that many times, and um, my daughter asked me uh, last week. Um, we were having a a conversation about you know she's at the age where she's going to go into the world and and begin her professional life in terms of her you know after college kind of stuff and you know dad uh you know you scared about <laughs> you know this stuff right something like that she scared might, that she's going out in the world well she just asked a question like that of that she may not have used that word and i said you know what i'm scared every day <laughs> about something or other you know if i have i get nervous when i turn a mix in and i've done 8000 mixes <laughs> i still get nervous when when I'm playing it for somebody, I want them to love it. I'm trying to do my best, and I'm going to be judged. Yeah. And that's hard. A lot of people don't want to be judged, so they don't put it out there. They just they just want to keep it to themselves. That's okay. That's okay. But I, so well, she said, well, how do you get over that? I said, well, I just, I want to, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to just stay in the dugout. I want to get the on-deck circle. I want to get in the batter's box. I want to swing the bat. And if I strike out, listen, I'm going to go down swing and I'm going to do the best I can. And um, and let the chips fall where they may. And over time, hopefully my batting average will go up. And it has. You know, the first couple of mixes, um, the first record I did was, um, the first big album that I mixed was a Club Nouveau record. I remember that. Yeah, and... Um, I mixed the whole album, and then Warner Brothers gave it to Barney Perkins to mix. After I had done it, oh, was I devastated, devastated. And my um, man I mentioned earlier, Craig Burbage, my mentor, who I had gotten to know, and he said, you know what, um, he said, you're going to end up with about half the album. Barney does something particularly well, and you do something that you do really well. You'll see. You'll, you'll be all right. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? He picked up the phone because he knew Barney. Mm -hmm. And he said, Barney, can Rob sit in on your mixes? Whoa. See? <laughs> Not only, right? So, so, and then Jay King was the producer at the time who took a liking to me. And I, we're friends to this day. Great guy. Love him. Like a family member to me, you know. He, um, he was all for it. And not only did they let me sit in on all the mixes, Here's what Craig said. He said, you, you need to go in and sit with Barney and learn how to be professional. Learn how a professional does it. Uh, he as didn't far mean, as the technical side or just the presence in the room? How I think you? he meant the whole picture. Okay. You know, be a wow. fly on the wall. Right? Jay said that? No, Craig Burbage said that. Okay. And Jay was all for it. And, and, um, and then, you know, a miracle happened because I was, of course, penniless, basically. I, they did pay me okay for the record. They paid me well. But they actually paid me to watch. Jay wow. paid me. And I thought, well, that's an, like... Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about good people and, and, and having good fortune and, you know, wow. providence, right? At the end, you know, think about... I think about that all the time you know, how different life might be, you know. So I got to watch Barney, God love him and rest his soul, and one of the great mixers of all time, and he allowed me to sit in the room and observe him. 
and how he worked and how he interacted with people. And um, it's amazing. You got to have that person. I say that at every text taxi seminar. You have to have a, you know, um, pursuit of excellence. You have to, you have to work with people. You have to learn from one another. And all my assistants, whenever they they, um, I make every assistant that works for me. They have to read the book Seeds of Greatness by Dennis Waitley. They all have to. Be, they can't. Um, they can't begin work with me until I've read read that book. That book changed my life uh, when I was 21. I read that. My brother gave it to me. And um, and I tell the assistants at the beginning, you know, you're going to have to learn the things that I do. Learn the, the flow that I have and how I like to organize and stuff. And once you learn that, then we're going to start working together on setups and, and mix preparation and printing and all of the basics. But by that six or eight month period, I expect you to show me some new things. You know, I expect the assistant to now understand the, con the, the framework within which that we work, mm -hmm. right? And then bring me some ideas. Like, let's help one another, learn from one another, because at that point, I know you have fresh ideas, you've learned the basics, and now we can grow together. It was gotta the same. Have the foundation, though. You got to have the foundation, and yep. it's the same with the high fields. When we start work, started working together. You know, the idea is if I can share with you everything that I know, then now we can really start to. Now we can start to do something together. Isn't it incredibly satisfying? I've had three assistant engineers that worked with me back in the day that all went on to do something better than working with me. And I'm going to be a little... Isn't that uh, great? It is. And that's the kind of satisfaction you enjoy privately. I'm almost sorry to be mentioning it publicly here, but mm -hmm. you know that feeling of like... I ra it's like raising a kid well and watching your kid do something that you're very proud of. It's a similar vibe when you teach somebody the studio and the student becomes the teacher. It's... it's Tremendous, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Wow, it's great because you feel like you know you've done something positive, yeah, and it's going to carry on. And there are certain things that I believe in deeply about music, okay, and and I've learned it a certain way. I believe there's a certain work ethic, and um, and I think you need certain let's say the four corners of music let's say you need to understand a musical instrument you may need to i don't know sing or play or whatever it may be there's a half a dozen things that i just that are just for me you just you got to have a sense and an instinct whatever those things may be okay and i love it when people become successful that i'm or you know that i've come to know you know, and I find that I, I don't know that it was that way when I was younger as much as it is now that I'm older. Because when I'm young, when I was younger, if I'm honest about it, it's a grind. I'm not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get the rent paid, <laughs> and it wasn't so easy. You know, so but then, but then when you, as I said before, when you have good people and you have a good assistant and you have good people around you. You do want to share all of the knowledge. You want to see them do do well. Absolutely. You know, that goes almost full circle to everything we've been talking about. You mentioned in the first 60 seconds, sitting alone in front of a computer screen. 
Well, when I started out in the industry, I was so incredibly lucky to get a job at Criteria Studios. Right there. Um, in that room, actually. Uh, because every day, uh, you were around other engineers and producers. Somebody just asked me the other day, did you ever get to work with Tom Dowd? Like, yes, I did for thousands of hours. Incredible. One of the masters of the craft. And that's not as available today because people are so isolated. So they, they go on things like, you know, gear slots or wherever. Um, I think they changed their name. All right. Well, yeah, they did. Uh, I can't think of what it is right now. But my point is that you don't know the quality of the information you're getting there. Is it somebody who's never really made a real record or had a hit? They've got an opinion and they're articulate and they can espouse information that makes them sound. And they speak with authority. Yes. And so, it's all wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, I've Whereas, seen, I've been in seminars, I've been on panels with recently and I was like, oh my god I didn't I didn't want to say a word because I didn't know what to say because someone was coming from this academic theoretical point of view yeah. which means they have a theory about something and 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 here I am coming from a you know roll up your sleeves in the studio placing the mics yeah. and doing the mixes point of view I'm like wow you know <laughs> I can see why you might think that but it's it's not the way it works in the room in the room there's a different thing that happens when you're when the artist is behind the glass and they're behind a microphone and the producer is there and the A&R guy is there and the manager's there and you're talking about dollars going out the door and you got deadlines and stuff <laughs> like that I mean hey you can think what you want but in this moment it works like this sometimes and it is not quite what you might imagine in your head and you know we all want to do a great job. And when the energy in the room is right, and I'll, I'll add one more thing, you know, when everybody is working towards the same goal, mm -hmm. there's a, sometimes it's just not working, okay? Some, that happens. In my life, thank heaven, it's been pretty rare. But there's every now and then there's somebody that just is not seeing it the same, let's put it that way. Or bring yeah. some bizarre energy to the room. But generally, it's like, you know, the the wager that I make with everybody I work with, if wager is the right word, is if you love it and I love it, if we finish this thing and we, we both feel like we did the very best we can, I'm I'm with that. I'll 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 live and die by that. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not satisfied if I love it and you're unhappy. If you think it's just okay, let's figure it out. Let's let's make you happy. Let's make because we got to respect one another's positions. In the way, you know, if you're the songwriter or whatever the case may be, there is this idea that we are all in this together. And I'm just one person. And if the marketing guy thinks it needs something, guess what? We have to go back there and we have to make a change because it doesn't matter. If he's not going to push it, we've right. just wasted a ton of time and money. I want the hit. You know, I want to have success. And not everything has to be a hit, by the way. I, I want to throw that out. Some things aren't necessarily made to be hits. And that's fine. There are just great artistic records in there for artistic sake. And I love those. Excuse me. But when you leave the room, we got to feel like we got it. You know, yeah. got the very best out of the record. Uh, it's hard when the songwriter the artist is also the songwriter and they've got a vision and their vision may be 80% of what it needs to make it great and they've got to trust you to bring and the other people on the team to bring the rest of it 
But when you get an artist, and we've all been in that room where there's a tug of war, um, where the artist feels, and rightfully so to an extent, because maybe they haven't matured to the point where they can say, you know, I've got a, I can't control it. I need to let it go where it needs to go. I brought, I brought the thing to the party, and we're we're in the home stretch, mm -hmm. but. It's going, hard, always hard to let go. Yeah, going from good to great may require the person who created it in the first place to let go. You can always go, well, that didn't work out. That's the thing that's hard for people to see in the moment is you can always go, well, we tried. <laughs> let's you know, try or another Or let's pause it and come back in a week with fresh ears yeah. or another time. And, and um, you know, but the idea is the spirit of the thing is that we're trying to get this, we're trying to serve the song and the artist, and we're trying to make this record as good as we can. And I am not giving up. I mean, I'm just not going to give up on that until we feel like we have it. And some people are very, don't, some people hold very tight. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They hold very tight to their vision. And it oftentimes is correct. Sometimes, you know, maybe another idea expands it a bit other times some people and some of the biggest artists that i've ever worked with have a very loose grip on things and enjoy hearing fresh ideas and wow. new things that come into the pie it, and sometimes it's hard to know when you get a record if it's a mix for example i all oftentimes ask how married to the demo are you you know, mm -hmm. and if you're really married to it, then at least I have a sense that you think you got it really close. Maybe I'm just here for the next five percent. Sometimes people say, "You know what? Do whatever you think you should do," and then I say, "Okay." Well, I know that doesn't really mean that. It only means that to a point, right? Because mm -hmm. we have the song and it's been worked to death, and people have gotten it to this point. But it tells me I have a little bit more, um, you know, latitude. Right. As a mixer, are you allowed to mute stuff? Not just like temporarily mute it, you know, mute it like in the first two bars of a verse or something and introduce it later. If Great you question. hear something that just in your, from your perspective, this is actually making the song worse. I'm going to take it out. Um, do, you, do the people that you mix for give you that latitude and what's the reaction when you do it if you are allowed? So, great question. Two parts to the answer. Early in my career, um, I would sometimes take a machete mm -hmm. and just <laughs> and make room where I thought we needed to. Sometimes, rightfully so, sometimes too heavy-handed. So the journey has been to be more, <laughs> I think understated about it okay. make sure that the sm the moves that i make become are really important like the battles aren't it's not my song it's not my record if i'm just the mixer right I, you know so we have to put things in perspective so the answer is yes i ha i can mute things but it's not without risk i can also copy and paste things it's not without risk so a record i'm working on now for some very big people um who are dream to work with know me just well enough where I think I can, where, which, where I did say, listen, I pasted this bit in because I think it's really important and it's really a powerful thing. And they came back and said, I like it here, 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 and here. Really good. 
but let's not do it over here and here. Okay, well, see, I threw an idea out that they right. liked. Now, I always say, well, if you don't like it, it's an easy mute button. You know, I always mix in a way where if I do something that may be a little bit, you know, um, that I'm afraid might be too jarring, right? Because mm -hmm. people have lived with the demo that I can easily and quickly undo it. Not, okay, let's give me four hours, guys, and let me fix this. Now, I want to make sure that, that what I do is going to be, you know, easy to undo and not throw the earth off its axis. But, um... But if I feel like it's going to help, I'll do it. But I'll let them know. Here it is. I think I have an idea that you might like. If you don't like it, I'll mute it. It's not, again, and if you have an idea, I'm not going to fight you on it. We're going to try it. Well, clearly you've earned their trust, and I recognize the level of people you work with. I mean, they're virtually all A-listers, like legitimate A-listers. And they've made a lot of records maybe before they've met you. Maybe they've been through three, four, five, ten different producers in their lifetime, and they've assembled their own way of working and their way of thinking, and now you're the new kid in the room, but they have to, wow, the trust they're um, bestowing on you to be that new kid, or in the case of... It's funny you should use that word. Yeah, what, the, the trust? The trust, because, you know, um, one of my, well, for, for no question, one of my... One of the great joys in my life is to work with Kirk Franklin. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, man, the fact that he trusts me to, to work on this is really... Um, and I've told it, and I've put it in writing to him, that how much I appreciate that trust. And, and with that comes a responsibility. Yeah, and You can't forget that piece of it. Not that you would, but, but a person right. shouldn't ignore that. And, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, if you respect that, the other piece of that, or I should say the same, the same piece really is having an objective ear come in, a new ear, is sometimes all it really needs. So there have been mixes that I've gotten to do where it sounds so great that all I really thought it needed is a little clarity, like the bass maybe needed to be cleaned up a little bit or a vocal needed to be more vocal rides or minimal stuff just to bring it across the finish line because it hits me and, and many times i've heard it and geez how am i going to beat this right it's so good it's so good well a half a db here <laughs> half a db here a really little bit and other times it's like okay might have to work a little bit harder but i think that comes in time i mean you know what i mean it's 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 um it's kind of hard to explain. Nobody gives me, I don't think anybody has ever given me a record and said, hey, make sense of this mess, you know. That's never, you know, people are pretty good, you know. Everybody but that's the level really of people good. that you've earned the privilege to work with, that they've been around the block and they, they have gotten good at their craft as well. They're not rookies, so. Oh, and I'm so, you know, and I respect their talent so much that I, I have to be thoughtful about it. I remember one night the four of us were out to dinner and you got like two or three texts and you shook your head and said, I'm sorry, I got to go back to work. <laughs> Somebody had sent you like 131 fixes, I think was the number on one mix. And I went, that's unbelievable. And you go, no, that that's a, a Tuesday in my world, you know. <laughs> well, maybe. Back in my I don't day, get those anymore. <laughs> back in my day, when somebody would say, can you make the vocal louder? I think the you know acoustic guitar needs a little bottom rolled off. 
not 131 fixes, but you know, automation in the digital world makes it so that you can burn through those things and accomplish that many changes in a much faster amount of time than. Yeah, I don't. I usually only. I don't usually get anything like that. It must have. That might have been a particular guy that comes to mind. It wasn't. They were. (laughs) He was driving you crazy. It's the same person. Some. Sometimes. You know, it's interesting because sometimes folks do want to experiment. They have ideas. They want to try copy and paste this thing and raise this vocal here and mute this and maybe you should do a drop out here. You know, all of a sudden you get 10 little things to do. It's easy enough with with computers and stuff, but um you know, uh sometimes you're in you get in a flow where something triggers another person's um they get ideas. So I might do a breakdown mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, oh, 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 oh. No, no, no. Let's do that." Let's keep it the way it was there, but let's do that before the bridge, and then put the 808 in there. So then, so there's an ins- inspiration happening, right? Right. And then, or somebody might say an idea, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that's not going to work. But I try it, and then halfway through, this happens all the time. Oh, oh, oh! I think I know, kind of what you're, tr- you're getting at, right? So let's try this little bit, and I'll say, no, okay, we'll try a little more, and then, okay, we try something else, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, that really does work. The collaborative nature of teams. That's right, yeah, and it's, Isn't to it me, funny it's how like, it's We keep going full fun. circle on this, and we're not even trying to, because that's just the right. reality of it. And, and in my, when I was younger, um, I don't want to say oftentimes, but there have been a couple of times where I was like, oh, God, we're going to try this thing, you know, this isn't going to work, you know. And I realized that, she was, you know, it didn't take me long, I mean, to figure out that it's so easy to just try it. And we'll all know if it works. We'll all know if it works. Just do it. And, you know, because if you don't, it it, it messes up the vibe. Right. If somebody wants to hear something and you're like, well, and, and oftentimes people say, well, what do you think? Do you think it'll work? I said, well, let's give it a try. Take a few minutes, what do you think? You know, what do you think? I'm like, well, I don't think it helped, but maybe if we did this, oh yeah, yeah, let's try this other thing. And, and then all of a sudden you yeah. you get a little extra out of it. it. It happens all the time. And if you didn't, they go home and will stew on it, ruminate on it, maybe not in a super negative way, but they'll wonder, you know, uh, should I, could I, right. you know, and then they come in the next day, you're going to end up making that move and trying it anyway. So I think it's great that you've got the attitude of let's try it now and see. And I'll tell you what, is that comes from me doing my recordings back in the day with you and other people. Yeah. If I had an idea, as stupid as it might be, if I'm the songwriter, right, and I am oftentimes with whether it's whoever I'm working with, I want to try it. Yeah. You don't want to try it? <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. Give it a try. Um, you've got to find, took my mom to oh, the No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> I, I engineered a thing called took my, oh, my mom God. to the prom a zillion years ago with Rob as the artist and songwriter and singer. And not once did I ever sit there and shake my head behind the meter bridge thinking, this kid can't sing. Not once. <laughs> Horrible. Um, the only negative thing about that whole project was working. It's because I sang like Rick Ocasek, you know. The, the studio. Cars. How bad was that room? <laughs> Remember that? We were working. We did it half in New York and half in Boston at Synchro Sound, which was a studio yep. owned by the band The Cars and Roy Thomas Baker. 
um, who's a very famous engineer producer at oh, the yeah. time, loved tweaking his tape machine. Remember, he would like have him crank the bias all the way to 100 on every track, and it gave it this really overly bright, weird sound. But if I remember, the control room looked down into the studio. Yeah, right? it was a weird place, and um, but it was magic. It was... <laughs> that part of my life was magic because we were in a recording studio and Just I was working with you. Yeah, and um, I picked the sh I picked your brain. <laughs> every, about every I could not touch a button or a fader anywhere in that console without Rob going. Why'd you do that? Yeah, I Everything. just want to learn. I want to yeah. know. Yeah, so I'm still that way. I'm still that very much that way. Well, yeah. I promised everybody we would do Q and A. Um, Okay, let's so go. let's open it up. Uh, please type the word question in all caps just because it makes it easier to see. We're going to try and get to as many as we can. Um, yeah, see what we can do. Hopefully, uh, Rob will have some great answers for you. Um, it take, there's a little lag, so it takes a minute. Okay. I'm going to go buy that book right after this tonight. Um, I have gifted it a hundred times. Allow me to send it to you. I'll do it when I get home. How's that? Thank you. I'll send you one that is one of mine that everybody should read. I love it. All right. I love reading. Okay, no questions. So let's keep chatting. There we go. From Kelly Katera, why is it that a great song may be panned just because it's a poor demo? I don't honestly, I can't think of too many times in my career where somebody, where a great song has come into the room and somebody said, this is probably a great song, but the demo sucks, so I'm going to ignore it. Do you have that experience? Uh, I think, well, I think I have an answer for it. Okay. Oftentimes, it's not what they're looking for, or it doesn't work for them. It's not something that they need at the moment. It could be a simple thing like that. And, and I've, I've found comfort in thinking in those, those terms. Well, they didn't accept this demo, okay? But maybe it's just because it's not what Demi Lovato is looking for at the moment. Right. Timing and is everything. It could be that simple. Uh... Okay. I only say that because she rejected one of our songs, and that's what came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one from Super Blonde. Using reference tracks for cues is matching sound successful in the past. N new music looks forward, not back. Audiences want tomorrow's sound, not yesterday's sound. How to resolve this? So... I think what Superbond is saying is that the briefs we get, the requests we get from the industry and that we then forward to our members, mm -hmm. they say, make it sound like this. Well, I, I've got an answer for that, but I want to hear your take because you're the guest today. So um, I want to hear yours first. All right. Um, especially in the film See and TV. See how I did that, folks? Yeah. Good job, Rob. Uh, in the film and TV industry, they're not looking to break artists or experiment. They're looking to find what works to picture. And oftentimes, um, familiarity breeds comfort. So they're not looking for Frank Zappa to come in and blow your mind with originality. They're looking for something that makes the audience feel like it's being hugged because of familiarity, if any of that makes sense. Makes perfect sense to me. I think you nailed it. I think the idea is especially in the sync world, yeah, um, it's got to serve the picture. 
That's yeah. not the same as an, an artist expressing their emotions, right? So you might you might have a song, let's call it The A-Team, mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran. So he, I think that was his first major hit. That song comes out, and it's, it's genius. Everybody loves it. Um, okay, that might not fit the picture of a family uh, going on Caribbean cruise lines, right? So right. The, for sync, it's different. It has to serve the picture. But, but maybe an artist is somebody, uh, not maybe, artist songs strike a chord with the listener in a different way. It's not, you hear the song, it's not, there's no picture on it, mm-hmm. unless you go and look at the video. Right, the song is the star of the moment. Yes. So there are there are artist songs that I, I love that have never been hits. You know, I love those obscure songs. Mm-hmm. That um, There's a song called Carmen by Paula Cole, which I've loved for years, and I don't need, the recording is like interesting, and the lyric is fantastic and um, there are many of them that just came to mind immediately but it's not something that was a pop hit and I don't think it's been in a TV commercial you know different songs for different things and different moments and, yeah you know it's alright another aspect of film and TV is that the executive producer or the director or the vice president of the ad agency or the person who wrote the spot mm-hmm. they're bringing Oftentimes, they're bringing their idea of what music they would like to hear in this commercial or in this scene, mm-hmm. and it becomes the music supervisor's job to make them happy, not to win an argument with them, um, not to prove them wrong, and not to override their artistic vision. It's their party. Yeah, and, think and Quentin Tarantino movies, the, the songs, yeah. the soundtrack. Soundtracks are always killing, you know. Another one I like soundtrack-wise is, uh, you know, uh, you know, like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. You know, they've got that cool stuff, and Tarantino's <laughs> soundtracks are cool, you know. So is The Godfather, but you're not going to hear... <laughs> you're not going to hear that in pop radio you know this different things different stuff you know if it's modern if it's not and there's a lot of retro stuff Lizzo does retro stuff so does um, um, a few of them I was thinking of um, All About That Bass what's her name oh uh, I can't think of her name but that's because I'm old my brain is shot um, God, this is embarrassing. Yeah, they'll remember. But I want to go on to the next question because we don't have that much time left. Um, who's the author again of uh, Seeds of Excellence? Seeds uh, of Greatness. Dennis Waitley, D-E-N-I-S, one N. It's all over Amazon. It's like a $11 book, something like that. Best 11 bucks you'll ever spend. Do you prefer to mix top down? No. I don't have any kind of approach like that. I've heard that before. I generally throw the faders up, get a sense of the song, yeah, listen to the demo, and carve the carve the marble a little at a time. Hmm. That's funny. I'm, I start with the kick drum. Not that I mix anymore, but well, sometimes I, I, I'll do that, but not until I get what the song is about, because that can really put you in the wrong. Well, I would do that first. <laughs> the first thing I would do would just be shove everything up to zero, yeah, and hit play, and, and and then start muting stuff to kind of figure out. Cool in the gang, the song celebration. Mm-hmm. Gary Rosen, 
sent me the twenty a twenty four track safety of that song. Mm. Um, and That's I knew a great the, one. I knew the engineer on it. Um, he was a friend of mine. And I've got to say, when I listen track by track. I was embarrassed for my friend. It's like, that's the worst friggin' snare sound, the worst kick sound, the worst bass sound ever. <laughs> and that's that was what you're going to say. Go it ahead. changed everything for me. And then I shoved all the faders up to zero and yeah. just pan stuff where I thought it should go. And I remember turning to my assistant, Paul, going, it sounds like a record. I've never really understood it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you listen to the old mast. It's not how it sounds individually. It's the picture that's in front of you. Yeah. And it and sometimes and I talk about this ad nauseum. The kick drum is not going to sell that record. I've never bought a song <laughs> a song because of the kick drum. Right. And there are many songs that I've heard and I've bought and I just love it. I love it. I love it. And I listen to it. And I'm like, man, that mix is so good. And then two years later, I'll put that song on. And I'm like, man, the mix is all right. It's not as good as I thought it was because now I'm not, now I've known, I know the song and it's, it worked and it's perfect for the record and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's the combination of the vocal, the arrangement, the production, the, the, the crafting. It's the, the stuff that makes you fall in love and get rose colored glasses. Yeah. Initially, and then when the rose coloring yes. wears off, then you notice the components, maybe? Yeah, and it, and you can always look for faults and flaws in records, and those are the that's the good stuff, you know? It really is. And if you don't believe me, I say, you know, listen to Beatles records, and sometimes they let stuff go because it's just gorgeous. It just works. One that I always point out, one of my favorite songs of all time, is Tommy James and the Shondells. <laughs> I've mentioned it on this show, in this room, in this chair, Crimson and Clover. Yeah. And what they do with the vocal, they put it through like a, a, a vibrato yeah. unit. And, and the guitar sounds and the arrangement and the tones and the noise and the hiss and the whatever. It's just it's I'll wicked. bet you anything they put that. I'm not Googling. I'm adjusting the air conditioning. I'll bet you anything that they have... Um, that they put the vocal through Leslie. They probably did. Yeah. And, and and that stuff is wicked. Yeah. It's wicked. And I would love to have... I've tried that a couple of times, you know, over the years, and it never really quite worked. But, man, they... they that's some creative, genius stuff. Imagine the people from that generation taking that level of creativity and understanding of the physics of audio and applying it to the digital world that we live in now. This is why I look forward someday I'm going to retire and I am going to sit down with Logic. I love those new SSL uh, pieces of hardware because I am a turn the knob mm -hmm. when it sounds good, I'm there, versus looking at a waveform on a screen and dissecting it, lest there's a problem. So I, I look forward to that day so much. All right, uh, next question. Uh, does an independent singer-songwriter have a chance at having a hit with a five-minute song? That's a good question. Interesting question. Five-minute song. I don't know. Hey Jude's about five minutes, but that's 60, 68, something yeah. like that. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. I will tell you that that the world that I'm in now is, you know, generally in the pop R&B world, it's it's three minutes or less a lot of times. Wow. Three and a half minutes is pushing it. 
But there was a time when four minutes and 20 seconds wasn't crazy. Yeah. And but I you mean, also had a 35 second instrumental intro for the DJ to talk over. Yeah. And a fade at the end. That comprised, you know, 40 seconds to a minute of the song right there, probably. Yeah. I think, um, do I think it's possible? I think anything's possible. I think if you, if you hit that emotional chord in somebody, right? Yeah. And it catches on and people like it, I mean, why not? I'm not saying, look, you have obstacles. Is the radio going to play it? Is the marketing team going to turn around and say, you know, they might turn around and say, look, these seven stations that we need aren't going to play it unless you do a radio edit, so we're going to need an eight, a radio edit. Yeah. Now, are you going to say no? I don't know what you're going to say, but I would say that's a bad... Go with the odds would be my advice. You know, you're right. Obstacles is such a great word. Why put up obstacles? Go with the things. Unless you feel that it's absolutely compromised the song. Um, yeah, nobody's saying compromise your musical uh, yeah. you know, integrity and stuff like that. But I, I mean, look, we, are, we work within a frame. We do. And it's just, it's just, there are rules to the game. And sometimes the rules say, you know, we need two and a half minute songs. Sometimes it's three and a half. I mean, I don't make those rules. I don't. I don't. Wow, that's a good question. I'm going to think about that one. So next time I'll have an answer, a better uh, answer. I love having you on the show. I could literally do this like three days a week with you, and I don't think we'd ever run out of stuff to talk about. Um, okay, here's one from Tony Salata. Uh, I like lo-fi hiss and tape warp can hide obscure bad playing, uh, for example, can be used as a cheat similar to overdone auto-tuning for vocals. How do you feel about it? I'm not entirely sure I understand the question, other than old school audio tech hides imperfections, I think is maybe. Yeah, some fun. of that, some of those um, tools that, that, that add Woe and flutter, or yeah. wow and flutter, and imperfections. Those are tools like any other. Used well, good. <laughs> are they going to make a hit record for you? Take a B plus song and turn it into an A? No, and like your uh, snare sound or your kick before, it's not, not going to sell uh, one more record. You know, I don't know. It's not going to change the lyric, and I mean that's sort of a flippant way to to go at it. But uh, I think all these tools are out there, and we have so many now. Um, it's still the carpenter. Mm -hmm. It's not the tools necessarily. I think it's still the carpenter. It still comes down to great writing, great arranging, great producing, great vocal. You know, one of those. I went to the Barbie movie, okay? My daughter and my son. And at the end, they played this um, song. Uh, oh my God, I'm so tired. I can't even think of. Phineas is the producer brother. What's the what's her name? Billy. Oh Billy Eilish. Oh my God, that shows you how tired I am. And it was smoking. I, who is this? Oh my God. Oh man. Great vocal, simple arrangement. 
every day I turn on the radio and it's like, man, why didn't I do that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I love that feeling of, man, I wish I worked on that record. <laughs> it's upsetting, you yeah. know. But it keeps me going. Like, okay, there's stuff to learn every day. I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, my God, wasn't it better when Van Halen made 1984? I don't, no, it's great then. <laughs> you know, it's great now. But, you know, music is changing. Yeah. I mean, things, you know, fresh ideas are coming in, and I think that's the beauty of music. And film, motion pictures, other things. I mean, I love it all. I really do. Yeah. Interestingly enough, before you said it's, we've got a frame, mm -hmm. structure still matters. The structure may change, but it's kind of like shoe styles or hairstyles, clothing styles. Um, every now and then, the Beatles, a Beatles will break through, a, 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 a genre-changing... Um, yeah, Nirvana changed everything when yeah. they came out. But if you, but sure. that's a one in a million. And yeah. if you want to play the odds and have a career and be able to put food on your table, you could go for it's very noble to try and be the Beatles. Chances are you're going to go to your grave trying to be the Beatles and not have that moment. Try to be but, yourself. Uh, but I don't want to discourage people because every now and then somebody does that. But, yeah. if, but there's no reason. I've said this before, and I piss off jazz people by saying this. Um, I, I don't know why, but jazzers always get upset with me. You can be a house painter by day and a portrait artist at night. They both require knowing how to blend colors. They both require knowing how to stroke a brush. There are similarities. So... My, I usually use that analogy for doing production music for film and TV, that you'll make ah. better records if you work on production music because you get much faster and you know where your sounds are and you become a better engineer, a better producer, a faster writer to meet deadlines and stuff. Mm -hmm. And all that is preparation and foundational to becoming a Rob Shirelli, somebody who is you know, an A-lister in, in the record side of the industry. Look, you did it in reverse. Back when sort you, of. well, as far as the film and TV thing, you didn't know anything about film and TV. You were no, I thought you were nuts when you told me. <laughs> <laughs> but you asked. Uh, no, but that well, was I your mean, brilliant moment was just asking. No, sometimes it's it's funny because I will tell you, I I, I guess. You know, some of this stuff, this gets on video, and it's like, I, I hope I don't regret saying something, you know. But I think it's safe to say, okay, so, yes. Yes, I didn't fully understand what what was happening at the time. But, but now let me re rewind the tape to around 1990. And I wrote this song. And I was in the studio working it out at Air LA. And... I really loved it. Yeah. I really liked what I had. And someone came in the room and said, oh, that sounds really good. It's good. When are you going to put the drums on it? Right? Because I had some percussion. I thought it was, oh, it's just magic. <laughs> when are you going to put the drums on it? I'm like, no, I'm going to keep it the way it is. Well, I think you should put drums on it. It's a good song. Now, I'm working on it another day and somebody else comes in. I, these are, people who made good records coming in and not just, you know. Yeah. And I uh, said, oh, man, you know, I can't wait to hear until when you put the drums on it. No, I'm not going to put the drums on it. I really like the percussion the way it is. And then <laughs> another guy comes in and said the same thing. And 
and the assistant, of course, is in the room. He's like, man, what's wrong with you? Everybody who walks through the door <laughs> says you got to put drums on the damn thing, and you're just not listening. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like it hit me. It's like everybody is wow. telling me the same thing. They're saying, great song, put the drums on it, you know. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, we get in our own way, you know, because we're in our own mind. And, yeah. and when it came to sync music and other stuff, it took me a minute to understand, you know, and... You know, and that's another thing. You have to have an open mind. You do. And now I'll even go further back. When I was in college, there's a a guy named Keith Cohen who's a Hall of Fame, in far, as far as I'm concerned, a Hall of Fame mix engineer. Paula Abdul and, and Prince and many others, and Chaka Khan and oh my God. And he was a friend of mine in college, and um, and he this was 1983, and he. He and I were talking, and he had just come back from a session. It was either Criteria or Studio Center. Okay. One of those two studios. And he said he was in there, and they had a DJ who was scratching. Okay. He, I remember he said scratching on the record. And I thought, well, that is bizarre. You're like, well, who would do that? <laughs> who would scratch their record, right? Because it, 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 you, know, you, have, you have to put yourself in that time frame, right? And he said, no, it was, he said it was kind of cool, you know, he, he did it in a really cool way. Now, this is, of course, the beginnings of hip-hop, and, and, and that, now we all know what he was talking about, but at that time it struck me as odd, because here I am studying jazz, and all I'm trying to do is walk a bass line and try to, you know, hear the chord changes, and and uh, and do my solos and I'm in that mode and I like pop music and all that I'm like what is this you know I couldn't understand what he was saying and now when we hear it we've all heard it we know what it is it's part of the you know music the fabric of music now and it's um it has been for 40 50 years man he was open-minded I remember that Keith was open-minded and he thought it was kind of cool and here I was not really getting the concept of it and how often does that happen with all of us when someone has an idea or a thought yeah and you're not really open-minded enough to give it a try or to receive it and give it a moment sometimes it takes a minute especially new ideas fresh ideas take a second they do and it takes a level of maturity on the person who needs to receive it to open the door wide enough to receive it. Yeah, you and have to have a certain confidence. I, I don't know that I fall in that category. I don't know that I've always been as open-minded as I should. Well, the point is, is I don't think anyone is. It's, it's We learned it along the journey, right? Yeah. You, you figure that stuff out. Um, some people earlier or sooner than others. Um, yeah. Can we go 15 minutes long? No. Because I have a lot of people asking questions and I want to get to more than we normally get to. Rob, where do you start the faders at the beginning of recording for a lead vocal? Um, different instruments or even virtual instruments. Where do you start the faders? The, fader, the position of the faders isn't as important as with the, the level of each sound, right? The fader, if you record a sound quietly, then you have to turn the fader up. So the physical position of the fader doesn't mean anything. That's just, you know, I learned early on don't look at anything mm -hmm. okay don't don't even someone early on someone craig burbage told me i mentioned him earlier put tape over the meters 
you know, put tape over those, the output of the console, put tape over it, and use your ears and understand what's happening. Is it distorting? Is it overloading? You know, you gotta, you gotta know all of this stuff. Same thing today. I mean, where the position of the fader is, that's, that's only part of it. You know, the microphone is going into a preamp. These days, people have that in a, uh, a DAW uh, or a, a Focusrite right. on their Apollo or whatever they're using, Apogee. I don't want to leave anyone out here. Um, <laughs> And it's kind of all done for you, but typically speaking, at one o'clock is the sweet spot of the preamp. Usually, somewhere in that neighborhood, depending on the box. Now, someone's going to say, "Oh, but you know, the V72 is different." Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm right. so happy that you said one o'clock. I figured that out on my own. Nobody ever told me that, but yeah, you just turn it till it sounds good. One o'clock was a safe place where it sounded good. Yeah, it starts, you know, just generally, you know, yeah. just, you know. So if you're on a 737 Avalon, you know, you always hit the high gain button and it sounds much better. Those of you who didn't know that, give it a try. I've um, never worked with one. I wouldn't know. Great box. So and on and on and on. Manly has their thing. And, you know, that gain structure is an important deal. Microphone, preamp, compressor. I don't generally ever EQ anything to tape. That's just me. It's all about mic position, mic choice. Mic placement, distance, stuff like that. Not everybody shares that philosophy. It's just for me, and especially lead vocals. I don't EQ them to tape. I never have. And um, and if it's the right mic in the right place at the right time with the right singer, it sounds perfect. So, faders, eh, it's how it sounds. It's not how it looks. <laughs> I agree with that. You and I are completely different. And I will, but I come from an older school. You know where we were. Like when I first started, things were still 16-track and just starting to move to 24. So we would have to take a full drum kit and get it on three tracks maybe. Different um, story. Yeah. But and you had that MCI console. Yeah, <laughs> munchy, crunchy inside. <laughs> but we had to commit this stuff early in the game. Therefore, I would EQ going to tape because we also didn't have a lot of capability on the playback side of the console. So... You make a great point. So, so if you've got eight tracks and you've got to get everything down, then you know um, there are many eight tracks that I've been able to study, and or four tracks like the Beatles. They had to get it all done. They had to get it done and balanced. They had to have the EQ and the compression and everything correct, because they only had four tracks or eight tracks to work with. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, okay, I got the Pro Tools Ultimate. It's like six thousand one hundred and twenty-eight tracks <laughs> that you can use. <laughs> yeah, in what life, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> Hey, come on, can we can we get it down to I don't know a hundred? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a different different approach. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> next question, uh, Rob. You've said your tracks are panned either twelve o'clock or hard right or hard left. Can you briefly speak to that? Yes. As far as I'm concerned, it could be a switch. <laughs> <laughs> Not a hundred, not all the time, but I do not sit around and say, "Oh my God, is it seventy-five percent left, seventy-five percent right, or seventy-four percent left, seventy-four percent right?" Yeah. It's like, come on, let's you know, stick it over here, stick it over here. Let's see how it feels. If it's good, I'm like on to the next thing, and then if it hits me later on in the mix, maybe I'll maybe I'll tweak it a little bit. Maybe I like it a little more centered, and I think that's natural. But as a rule of thumb, I think you know, especially when I give my seminars, what I've learned is. People get caught up in the, the silliest things. Yeah. Like, like, do we need more? I'm gonna, sorry, mute that. You know, really, do we need to spend two hours on the kick drum sound? I mean, 
Um, if I need to replace it, I'll replace it. But, I mean, two hours, I mean, on the vocal, yes. Vocal rides and making sure it fits right and all of that. Yeah, but, I don't know, panning on something? I've got a follow-up <sighs> to that. Um, I hear stuff synced in TV series. Mm -hmm. I'll be sitting in our bed. Our TV is, I don't know, 13 feet from my head when I'm in bed watching TV at night. And all of a sudden, I hear a guitar over there. I mean, it's way past 9 o'clock. Um, I mean, it's outside of the TV set. Everything else seems to be in a stereo spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear one instrument, or maybe it's a delay, and it's like over there. It's you have like, the surround Dolby no, Atmos thing? No, I've actually in our bedroom we have a 26-inch flat screen that sits inside of a like, mm -hmm. built-in, you know, wall, bookshelfy thing. Um, my wife did not want to have a big TV in the bedroom. So I'm listening to this TV, and, you know, I mean, I don't have any external speakers on it. Um, I, why do people mix stuff so wide? There are all these plugins oh for, my God. for getting Good. wider That's mixes. That's a great I, question. I do not understand this. <laughs> that, is, that is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That is the devil. That stuff is, I don't touch it. Good. Oh, I feel so much better now. <laughs> I don't touch it. It causes so many problems, especially in, in just like you described. Yeah. And sometimes the mono compatibility is, you know, is is terrible. What do you need mono compatibility for nowadays? Back in my day, you did, but now, why do you even need it? Well, not everything's stereo. Not. I mean, it's less probably less important now than than it had been in the past. But um, I think it's an important idea to keep things in phase, and it has a certain, you know, if things are mono-compatible, they're less fatiguing to the ear. This is the kind of stuff you learn hanging out with other engineers in rooms at the end of a long day, and these things come up in conversation, whereas if you're alone in your isolated home studio yeah you may never have this conversation well you Having, turn that 3d thing on it's like oh my god oh my god is right you know <laughs> just come on <laughs> but hitting a mono button um yeah. we always check stuff back in my day in the olden days always checked everything in mono um how do you even do that in logic or pro tools oh there's plug plugins you put on a master fader you hit the mono button it's oh, okay. easy enough to do it um, but um, but the idea of these um, psychoacoustic and you know um, phase altering plugins, there's you know a tiny bit of it here and there. It's fine. I think it's okay. But it's easy to overdo it because there's an initial satisfaction in hearing in hearing it a particular way. Riding a new bike. You know, Getting that new bike on Christmas morning, you're going to go through all 10 gears on that 10-speed because they're yeah, there. Yeah. I get it. Uh, okay, let's see. Moving down. It's the devil on that stuff. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Uh, next question. Where is it? When do you decide, wow. decide to kick, side chain kick and bass if the song requires it? Oh, you saw that go by? Uh, how many tracks of guitar does it take to make it sound like a wall of guitars? <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I'm the f I gotta tell you, I'm just a f 
I, I like to say I'm a funny guy when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> so if you turn on, if you're a guitar player, you no doubt everybody knows, you know, Led Zeppelin or The Who. Yeah. And it's like, it's like one guitar right over there. And then he does his other guitar, like right over there. It's not 50 layers, you right. know. And that sounds incredible. There's no denying it. And Jimi Hendrix or whomever you want to think of in terms of quintessential guitar players. So I always get this question at the road rally. How do you make the guitar sound bigger? <laughs> I, I, with my right hand to God, I have gotten records that have, you know, a Strat playing the same as a, a Les Paul playing the same as a Telecaster playing the same part as a, um, a duo jet, okay? Mm -hmm. And they have it mic'd up with a 421, a 57, a 47, an 87, and I have all the microphones for all the cabinets for all yeah. of the guitars, and there's 20 of them. And, and it's, it's so funny. I'm so tired I'm making myself laugh, Michael. <laughs> it's because it's what I'm going to say is the truth. And that is my right hand to God. How, Shirelli, how'd you make the guitars sound so big? <laughs> I muted most of them. <laughs> you know, there's just too many. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bigger or better with all of those. It's the physics of sound, too. You have to understand something about physics and phase relationships. <laughs> the more of them, you're just asking for phase cancellation all over. You know? And mic technique is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you know... Eddie Van Halen has a great tone, okay, in terms of rock and hard rock. And that, and uh, I don't know how many layers he put in. I would suspect it's doubled or maybe more. But there's not 10 tracks of each. Now, I know that Mutt Lang has this technique, which I would love to know. How does he get his sound? Yeah. But in terms of me, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, but sometimes less is just more. It just feels bigger. It's more impactful. You know, it's like... Um, you hit a snare drum and you get you get a drum core hitting a hidden snare drum. It doesn't sound the same. Yeah, a, one hit on the strike on the snare drum has a particular feel. Making a hundred snares doesn't necessarily make it any more impactful. It's different. It's different. They need a quadulator. Oh, I'm not going to mention the artist I was working with, but he was the guitar player in a pretty famous band in what would have been 1980. Michael, like, don't tell the story. You can't do it. Oh, I've told this story before. It's, oh. it's, uh, I'm not going to mention any names. The, the guy has like four Marshall cabinets out in the room. And it's just him. Doing For the record, I've never done this. <laughs> For the record, I will never. I do might this. be the only guy who did it. I don't know. But anyway, um, the guy had four Marshall cabinets. I can't remember if it was a Strat or Les Paul or whatever. And he was basically doing power chords. He came in the control room. He goes why doesn't it sound as big in here as it does out there? Well, for one thing, you've got four marshals turned up to 11, and you just feel it in the room because it's moving so much air. Oh, yeah. I could turn on the big monitors in the control room and rattle your shirt for a while. It's mm -hmm. still not going to sound just like the room out there. So I looked at my assistant, Paul, said, Paul, should we pull it out? And Paul knew the drill. He nodded his head and go, yep. Okay, but remember, we're supposed to keep this quiet. It's not patented yet. And Paul would come out with this box 
that had a, a, a knob that was basically one to ten and a toggle switch that lit up a little light bulb made the, you know and, and it had a three-foot patch cord going through it with a knot in the middle of the box and grommets holding the cord in the box there was nothing it was just a cord and a nine volt battery driving the red light when you so we called it the quadulator and paul would come out of the room holding it like he was carrying a ring to the royal family getting married at the altar, you know, dun, 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 dun. and he puts it down and he plugs it in tape machine return into channel line in. And I would reach for it and I go, you know what, you do it. And I've done this to a couple big famous producers as well, not just this guitar player guy. I scooted over them and I say, turn the knob this until is, it sounds great. This is so wrong. I know, and you see the guy sitting there going, uh, and all of a sudden their facial expression changes. You and did they, that to me, didn't you? No, never, never. <laughs> you were too smart. You would have picked up on it. No, we never worked a triad together. That's where the box was, oh. the quadulator. Anyway, I learned that from somebody at Criteria, actually. That, uh, listen, do not do that to me. <laughs> anyway, sometimes psych, you know, there's a psychological aspect. All right, we've got five more minutes here. Um, question from Katrina Seifert. How do you help your vocalists get their best performance in the studio? This is great such a great question. question. That's a good one. Yep. Make them feel comfortable. Make the singer feel safe. And everything will fall into place. You want to make sure that the headphones and the stuff is all sounding good in advance. Mm -hmm. But that's very basic, you know, and I have some, <clears throat> yeah, great stories about that question um, for another time, but that, that's a great one. I find that, you know, many people will, um, sometimes, you know, you, you meet somebody and it's the first time, and maybe, you know, maybe they just want to chill and talk for a minute. Maybe you find out that they like, you know, um, chai lattes or something. You have one. You just, you know, you've you got to be comfortable. And you always record the first pass, mm -hmm. you know. The warm up, question. yeah. The warm -up. I'm getting levels. <laughs> you know, you know, because nobody's really thinking. You know, that part of it's good, but make people feel comfortable. It's like anything else. It's like, uh, it's like anything else. You know, feel, make them feel comfortable. Um, because remember, you know, that is not an easy thing to do—to sing behind a mic and express song—and that's. That's a gift. Great singers and those great gifts that they have and their ability to communicate a song, you know, you want that, you want them to be as comfortable and feel as safe as possible and kick everyone out of the room, you know, so that they are not concerned about being judged by, you know, Unless Others. they want somebody, like if they've got a... Oh, yeah, if they a, want somebody, that's one A thing. valet, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, wife. Yeah, have that person in the room for moral yeah. support, but Rob's right. If you can actually turn down the control room lights so that they can barely Setting see Setting the mood. Yeah. All that's important. Didn't you, sure. I won't mention the artist, but a huge, like, world-class mega mm -hmm. artist. Had you put candles in a circle around her or No, something? I did it on my own. To ah. make, yeah, I did it on my I still screwed it up, you know. <laughs> Um, I Not the right scent in the candles? No, no, no. I think that I, you know, I, I could have done a better job. I always feel that. But 
But no, you know, sometimes some people, you know, not everybody wants the lights down. Not everybody wants that kind of thing. Maybe, you know, sometimes pe people want bright lights. Sometimes they want, you know, um, they want to sing late at night. Sometimes they're afternoon people. Sometimes people are only going to give you an hour. Sometimes they're only going to give you a half hour. Sometimes they'll give you as much time as you want. Sometimes people want to, you know, they're comfortable with punching. Sometimes, no, they want you to comp it later. There's a lot of there's a lot that go into goes into play here with the singer to get a great performance. But the, lead, the bottom line is you got to be comfortable. Lead vocal on "You Are the Woman" by Firefall, the mm -hmm. first hit records that I ever worked great on. Great vocal. Ricky Roberts gave me a hundred dollars and said, "Go to the nearest bar, get some girls, bring them back to the studio." Where was I? <laughs> And you'd be surprised walking up to girls in a bar. Can I buy you a drink? By the way, I want you to come back to the studio with me. I was a 19-year-old kid wearing a Criteria shirt, and they're like, "Get out of here!" You know, oh the drinking God. age was 18 back then. By the way, um, <laughs> so I could go into the bar. Uh, anyway, so if I remember this correctly, it's been a very long time. We had like six or eight or ten girls and put them in almost a full circle out in the studio and gave him a handheld 57 and he sang it like a nightclub singer would sing to, and he was like you are the woman like walking up face to face to these girls like a, a, somebody in Vegas would do to audience members I see so you created an atmosphere of a live performance yeah and that was helpful we'll see if that's what it takes fantastic yeah. and it was recorded with a 57 which is not famous for being a great vocal mic it works sometimes but that didn't hurt that song yeah you know but if you get a great performance on a 57 you use that instead of a crap performance on an 87 on yeah. a you know c800 or a, you know <laughs> 251 or whatever it may be it's all about that vibe right yep absolutely. all about the vibe yeah Neil Young used to say it to me all the time. He said it the first time we worked together, just him, myself, and my assistant. He mm -hmm. said, he came in the control room, he goes, man, I appreciate how much you want this to work out, but you know, you worry too much about the equalizers. You worry too much about the compressors. What I need you to do is feel my performance, and if you think that I nailed something special, let me know. That See, was a life-changing moment for me. Yeah. He, he actually forbade me is that the right for bad forbade me um, from touching an equalizer or compressor? But that's <laughs> I had to ride levels. Well, he's walking around the studio with his acoustic guitar, and my assistant was following him around with an eighty-seven. <laughs> but what a moment, though! <laughs> yep, I learned a lot working with him. I had Reggie Calloway told me, "Listen, man, you worry too much about what other people are thinking." <laughs> you know, it's good. Well. It looks like they're out of questions and we're out of time. We've gone 15, 16 minutes over. Um, thank mm -hmm, you, man. Mm -hmm. It was great having you back here. It's good been to see you. Good to chat. Far too Always long. good. Um, Road Rally, we need to talk about that before you leave the building because I'm mapping out who's doing what and what rooms at which times. I don't have any answers for you yet. Oh, I need you to get them soon because I need to publish the schedule. So, yeah, you guys lay some guilt on. Anyway, um, what else do I want to say? Is next week, is next Monday Labor Day? Or is it the Monday after? Today's 21st, no, the next... Uh, Following week. Yeah, so two weeks from now be Labor Day. We won't be doing a show then. I will be doing one next week. I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. So with that, I want to thank you guys for showing up. Rob, thank you for doing this. 
Uh, man, it's the longest time we've hung out other than at the Fab Four concert, which was awesome. Um, that's it. See you next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Watch this. I still remember how to do it. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs>